Yeah, just a, just a bit of background for us. Uh, Paul and I um, have been involved with uh, Christ for the last 20, uh, 1982 when Paula became a Christian. We don't come from a church background or a Christian background, either of us, and so Paula became a Christian in 1982. It took me a little bit longer, 1985. I had a fight with God about that one, trying to convince my wife that Christianity wasn't the best way to go. But uh, God won, thank goodness for that. And um, so we've been on a journey. 1987, God called us called us to actually take the message that he'd given us to actually live out as disciples. We actually probably didn't know it fully then what that meant, to be honest, but uh, God took us on a journey. So for the last 22 years, we've been involved in initiating churches for Queensland Baptists around the state. So we've started a church in Cooktown, we started a church in Gundawindi, and we started a church in the northern beaches of Townsville. And uh, that's taken us basically a few years to do that. Um, and every one of those churches have been outward focused. We have not tried to plant a Baptist church as such. We've always gone to plant the kingdom of God. But I suppose what we've learned as we've gone along is God has taught us a lot about what does it mean to be on mission with him? And what does it mean to actually be a disciple of him? Because it actually says we are called to be his disciples. What does it mean to be a follower, in other words, of Jesus? What does it actually mean to commit your life to him and then follow him for the rest of your life? And so we, um, for the past four years or so, we've been involved in a ministry that we've initiated called Outback Connections. And Outback Connections is about connecting life to eternity. And I was going to use them, but I haven't got anything to read at the moment. Um, yeah, so it's about connecting life to eternity. It's about connecting the temporary with the eternal. Connecting our life with the life of Christ. And so um, a few years ago, Back in about 2009-2010, I had this experience on a place called White Rock Mountain. You want to throw up that next um, slide there? White Rock Mountain. Does anyone ever want to know where White Rock Mountain is? Ever heard of White Rock Mountain? Well, I hadn't either. But it became very significant to me because I pulled up there to Bull the Billy one day. It's about an hour east of Huondon on the Flinders Highway. And... Um, it's a national park and I pulled up there, it's got a little rest zone on the side of the road. I was actually heading to Longreach, I was, we lived in Townsville, I was heading to Longreach to speak at a chaplaincy in-service weekend in Longreach and I was going out through there and I really had a heart, God was stirring me about the outback stuff but I really didn't know what that meant. Anyway, I pulled up, balled the belly, sat on this uh, rocky edge there. That picture really does nothing for what the scene is like. But I looked out, I'm looking out there, I'm just admiring the scenery and it was this this encounter happened with God where God just in my spirit spoke to me and said, I love the outback. And I responded by, I love the outback too. He said, I love the people of the outback. What about you? And that's the beginning of the journey called Outback Connections because for me, that spoke into my heart is what's happening in the outback. So for the next couple of years, we were, we'd finished sort of planning the church in towns. We'd handed over to another guy. It was going along swimmingly and everything was fine. But we were, really, we were in a bit of limbo. Where do we go? We'd um, had a number of different things that we looked at, but nothing came to be. But we, we started travelling around the outback. We started to get a heart for the outback. We started to get an understanding of the people of the outback and how desperately the life of Christ needed to flow into the outback more than through what was happening at the time. And so God called us to a ministry called Making Disciples in the Harvest. And so this is this encounter where God really spoke to me about a call to go and build a movement of people courageously living out the kingdom values. Not religious values, not denominational values, kingdom values that are found in the scriptures. To live them out intentionally in our communities. 
to courageously live them out because it's not easy to live out the kingdom values because they're often counterculture. They're often very much counterculture to the society we live in. But to live that out and also be willing to make disciples that are committed to multiply out across the outback. Now, when I say about making disciples, that could mean all sorts of things to all sorts of people. It could mean cultish to some people. It could mean something completely different to a group of Christians. It could mean something different to another group of Christians. And so I want to try and explain what that that is as I go along, as best I can. I'm hoping that I'll get another chance to talk to you later on, sometime into the future. But we'll see about that. that. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I've spoken in many places and only haven't done it once, Michael, so (laughs) just be warned. No. Um, The thing is, simply put, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus every day, laying down their life and taking up his agenda for life and being obedient to whatever he says in that day. That's what it is. That's a simple output of that. So for Paul and I, we've been on this journey for the last four years. We are actually based in Blackwater, which is in the, about an hour east of Emerald. It's a coal mining town, purely coal mining town. So if you've ever lived, anyone lived in a coal mining town here? No one lived in a coal mining town? Until you lived in a coal mining town, you don't understand the culture of mining. It's nothing like a rural town. It's nothing like a, a suburban area. It is completely different. It's like living in a big mine camp where everybody comes and goes and there is no community. There is nothing. Nothing is stable. Nothing is, is long term. If we have someone stay more than six months with us, we think they're long term because that's the reality of the community that we live in. So it's a very interesting place to live. We base ourselves there, but we actually have a ministry that flows out. So God called us to this stuff, Outback Connections, and to be courageously calling people to be followers of him, to live out the kingdom values and to make disciples, multiply themselves out into the community. So this is what we do. We have what we call Caravan of Courage Tours. Now, the reason we call them caravan of courage tours is because we have to negotiate a lot of caravans and I'm very impatient with caravans. I tow a camper trailer, which is generously given to us by some friends of ours. We, we were camping in a tent for the first two years as we travelled around and they, these guys got a little bit um, concerned about us camping in a tent and they gave us their camper trailer, which was really cool. We love our camper trailer, but I can pull that along at about 110, 120 kilometres an hour when the police aren't watching. And that gets me pretty much anywhere I want to go pretty quickly. But I have to negotiate caravans. And for me, that's why I call it the Caravan of Courage Tour. (laughs) Uh, But what we do is we have some paddocks that we call um, the North Paddock, the Middle Paddock and the South Paddock. And the North Paddock flies along the Flinders Highway. So we go from basically Charters Towers right out to Cloncurry and through those towns there of Hewenden, Richmond, um, Julia Creek and Torrance Creek and all those little communities of about 20 or 50 people. We, just, we go through those places. We go through the Capricorn Highway, which is from basically from Jeringa, which is just over the hill from Rocky, all the way out to Longreach and around those areas, Motorborough and all those little places in there, the coal fields, um, the central highlands. And then we come down to the south paddock, which is right through from basically Gundawindi right through to Thargaminda. We have connections up through Charleville, Roma and those areas. Chinchilla, it's all on there. So that's our areas that we cover. That's something that God's gifted to us to go and do this thing called Outback Connections in. And that's what we do. So we, what we do is we're praying, planting, proclaiming the kingdom of God. So far we've been through about 54 towns and uh, we regularly try and go back and visit towns that, uh, that come up on our radar screen as places where God wants us to come back to. 
So we've been doing this now for four years, as I said. And uh, what we do is we do the simple things that other people can do. So this is not about something that we do and no one else can do. This is about simply multiplying out what we do in the lives of others. So we, when we go into a community, we look, for, uh, we look to pray, we look to um, engage and we look to actually share and disciple. That's what we do. And we look for people. So when we get to St George, we are out at the Pelican Rest Caravan Park. We've been here four times, three times, three times. Three times we've been through St George. I've been here before, but with the Caravan of Courage tours, this is the third time. And we've really struggled to get connection into this community, really struggled. We go to the pubs, we go to everywhere we can to try and find people and talk with people, go to coffee shops, and we've really struggled to connect with anybody. Anyway, I'm out at the Caravan Park and I looked at the, the thing which has got all the church services listed on it. And I'm not a fan of going to churches, to church services, honestly. I don't do that well. I'm a person that actually wants to engage with a group of people in a fair income way, wherever that is. That's what I call church. But I found it interesting that there was this group called Bush Disciples. Now, that's interesting. I actually looked on the website and I saw a little bit about what Bush Disciples are on about and my heart started to pound because I thought, these guys have a similar heartbeat. So that's when I rang Michael and Robin up and we went around and had a cup of tea and um, it was a good time because I got to hear their heart and I got to hear a little bit about you guys and got to hear a little bit about what Bush Disciples was about and from there we've just continued on that journey of enjoying that. And it's good to be able to gather, as I would call gathering together as a group of followers of Jesus and enjoying time together under God and listening to him. So that's what I want to do today. I'm actually going to give you three simple things that I think everybody's called to. I want to give you some background to that. So if you just go to that next slide, Michael. There's a pretty simple statement in the Great Commission. Jesus made it very clear what followers of Jesus are called to do. The Great Commission is one of those, where it says, what's that say? Read it out to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Absolutely. That's a very clear statement of purpose for every one of us. It's a non-negotiable. If you say you are a follower of Jesus, this is a non-negotiable. This is what you're called to be. A person who goes, who speaks and shares and honours the name of Jesus in every location. Teaching them what you have understood of God, sharing that with others. And baptising them. And helping them to become the same thing. It's a non-negotiable. It's said simply in another few places, like in Acts 1.8, it says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It says in John 20, verse 21, it says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, this is not something for a group of people that may be well-trained through a theological college of some other thing, and don't get me wrong, that's good stuff, but... It's for every person who claims to be a follower of Jesus. We are the sent out ones, the called out ones. We are sent on a mission. And a mission that is not about this world or about humanity. It is a mission that is about the kingdom of God that is eternal. And so it's a non-negotiable for every one of us. So as Bush disciples, you're called to this purpose. As a community together, gathered together here today, you are called to this, this purpose. And the thing you guys need to do continually is to encourage and spur one another on for this purpose. As you gather and as you scatter, this is what you need to do. 
because this is the calling of the church. Now I've been involved in planting churches for the past 22 years. I want to say something to you. I've never found a biblical mandate to plant a church. I've never found a biblical mandate to plant a church. What I've found is a biblical mandate to make disciples, people who are followers of Jesus, genuinely engaging with him each day. That's what I've found. And you know what happens out of that? There's a natural formation of church. There's a natural gathering together of people that get together and enjoy each other's company, honouring God and being on mission together. That's what comes out of making disciples. And so that's what you guys do together. It's not about getting together as church, it's about getting together as a gathered group of people on mission. And church naturally flows out of that. Worship, fellowship, discipleship, all those things flow out of that. So, I'm going to get you to do some work. We're going to look at three things that we do on our Caravan and Courage Tour. There's more than three, but the three things, basic things that you guys can do here in St George in your everyday life. Simple things. So, you want to throw up the first one? Is we're going to pray. So, what we're going to do is we're going to ask people to open up some people. How many people we got here? One, two, three, four. Thirty odd. Thirty odd people? Or? <laughs> <laughs> You're catching up, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, um, what we need to do is gather into probably groups of maybe ten. And what I want you to do is I want you to open up one group to open up to Matthew nine thirty-five to thirty-seven. The other group I want you to open up to. Um, just go to the next one, so I remember what it is. Yes, Mark ten verses Mark four verses ten to twenty, and the other one is John fifteen verses five to eight. All right, so. You need to do this quickly because we don't have a lot of time. The longer you take, the longer you're going to be sitting here listening to me afterwards. So that's a motivation to move quickly and get into groups of ten and then I'll share what I want you to do in in that time. Okay? So get into groups of ten. Okay, so Mark 4, 10 to 20, over here. Uh, Matthew 9. Oh, yeah, Matthew, Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 35 to... Uh, yeah, Matthew 9. 35 to 30 something. Let me have a look at that. Hang on, hang on. I'm just sticking them all up on my side. Yep. So you're doing John 15 verses 5 to 8. There we go. So Matthew 9, 35 to 37. Now what I want you to do is I want you, someone to read that out and then I want you to think about what are the things that speak to you? Is there a phrase, a word or a concept that speaks to you? And I want you to share that with each other. 
what is God saying to you as you listen to someone reading that word? What is God saying? Is there a word, is there a phrase, or is there a concept that jumps out at you? I want you to engage in that word. So that's what you're going to do for the next 10 minutes. You've got 10 minutes to just speak and share about that passage. So someone read it out. If you need to read it out a couple of times, even if someone wants to paraphrase that in their own words, that would be even better. So let's uh, take 10 minutes to do, do that and then we'll come back together and share a little bit around those, those particular passages. Thanks, guys. Which is what I was going to go on to, so it's good. You've already heard of me, that's good. Um, but I think um, other things were around the sheep um, without a shepherd mm. um, and Jesus being that, that shepherd, but how do we, and brought up having a heart for the people. Yep. Um, and one of the, the first key things that Jesus went through all the towns and villages mm. um, and teaching and having mm. compassion for those people. Absolutely. So was having the heart and the love for the people, obviously, in our district. Um, yep and engaging with them through that. Yep. Is that... <laughs> so you're all, you've already got it nailed down, everything I'm going to say, basically. That's fantastic. So the first thing that we do when we go into a community is we actually pray. That's the first thing we do. No matter what community we go in, we pull up and we pray. And we pray persistently and regularly, even when we're not there, we keep praying for these communities. So we've been here, as I said, three times before. And we've been praying in St George and we've walked the streets around here, we've driven around the town and prayed and we've been praying for this community. And uh, even in this, we've been here since uh, Thursday and each day we go down on the river, we pray, we walk along the river and then we start to go around, we go into coffee shops and we've had some interesting connections in that time that we hadn't had before. So that, that's been good for us and uh, we enjoy that. But it comes out of, a, out of a really heart's desire to pray because Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. Most people are, de- are, are, living, are believing a lie because they think the harvest isn't plentiful. Most people think Australia is spiritually dead and no one wants to hear the message of God. That's what most people think. What we are discovering is most people don't want to hear the message of church. What they want to hear is something different. Most people are spiritual in our country. And what I, what I say is they're taking on what I call a subway spirituality. So they take a bit of Christianity, a bit of Buddha a bit of something else, a bit of Islam. They put it all together and they put it on their sandwich and that's what they consume as spirituality. I call it Subway spirituality. Who's ever been to Subway? Pick your stuff, you know? Same thing. That's what people are. People are spiritual. The harvest is plentiful out there because people are actually seeking something bigger than themselves because God put it in us. But we believe it's not. That is a lie directly from the evil one to try and stop us from being the people God wants us to be. People do want to hear this, but we've got to understand how to do that. And the only way we understand that is through prayer and getting the heartbeat. So this compassion and this love for your community. The question I would ask of you is, do you actually love the people of St. Georgian District as Jesus does? Do you love the people of St. Georgian District as Jesus does? Because that's a really important starting point. I am struggling with this in my community of Blackwater. 
Do I love the people of Blackwater? I struggle with this in my heart. Because when I pray, I cannot pray genuinely for people if I don't love them. We can pretend to love, but do we love them as Jesus loved them? Because when he looked out on the crowd, it says they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw people in their real state. He didn't look at their circumstances, just view them through their circumstances. He looked beyond that and he saw their heart. He saw into them and he saw how harassed and helpless they were. Most Aussies are harassed and helpless. They don't show it on the outside, but inwardly that's what they are. You cut through that thin layer, it's pretty tough, but you cut through it, you find that. You find that they're harassed and helpless. And in fact, the descriptive words used there are very descriptive because it literally means someone who is pinned down, ready to be devoured and has no way of escape. That's what Jesus saw in these people. And he had compassion. Now, compassion is not like a nice heart feeling as, oh, oh, so sad. That's not compassion. That's just, oh, so sad. Compassion is something that hits us internally. In fact, it, it cuts to the very core of our, of our stomach. It nearly bends us over in pain. That's the sort of thing that Jesus was experiencing for these people. He was in pain for them because he felt for them, because he saw internally what was going on in them. Do we love the people of St Georgian District in the same way? We need to get God's heartbeat for this town. Otherwise, we will never move out and we will never see the harvest because we'll only ever view it as hard, tough, no way, no one's interested. And that's a lie from the devil. So we have to go. And that verse 38 is all about ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Who are the workers? That's what disciples are. They're workers for Jesus Christ. So here's a few points I've put down. I call it ploughing the ground because everywhere you go, if you want to have a harvest, you plough the ground Otherwise, you won't get much of a harvest as far as I understand. You won't get much of a harvest. You've got to plough the ground. And prayer is ploughing the ground spiritually in your community. And you need to do it regularly and persistently. You do it in teams and you do it alone. So here's the thing. Prayer has to be mission focused. Often what I hear is prayers about us and about ourselves and about the circumstances we face, which is fine. But it never goes any further than that. Prayer that is mission focused goes beyond us and our circumstances and the issues that we face. It goes to the heart of what is on in the community, what is happening in the hearts of people around you. That's what it's about. Prayer is something that's not just a few words in an occasional sentence about God help our community. It's about getting to the heartbeat of our community by praying for people genuinely for them. So when we walk a community, we're praying and when we meet people, we pray, God, give us understanding of this person. And we're not there to jam something down their throat when we start talking with them. We're there to genuinely listen to them. But as we're listening to them, we're actually listening to God at the same time saying, God, is there a word that we can speak into this person's life that can encourage them? So prayer is about getting our heart right, getting our feet right. So prayer is not just we sit in a group alone, away from everybody and we pray about the mission. Prayer is also about being on mission together out there, out there in the public eye. Out there doing it. Being the feet and the hands of Jesus. Offering grace and mercy. So it's mission focused. It's getting the compassion in the heart and the feet to serve your community. It's also asking for the power to be a representative in a community where spiritual indifference is high. 
Spiritual indifference is high in, o- in Aussie land. People are not necessarily, they don't say they're spiritual. They don't necessarily say they're spiritual, but they are because of the things that they search for in their life. They are. And there's spiritual indifference. It's like that mamby-pamby thing out there that really has nothing to do with me. So when I grew up, I grew up in a family that had morals. They were Christian morals. I didn't know they were Christian morals. I just thought that's the way you lived. My mum and dad weren't Christians, but they lived Christian morals. That's what I grew up in. But when I thought thought of God, I thought of a God who was out there, who was like a bit of a cosmic, sadistic sort of a being that sort of played with us humans if you wanted to. I had no connection with God whatsoever other than that. I didn't really see a relevance to it. And I thought spirituality was a bit of a mamby-pamby, you know, crutch type thing. That's what I thought until I had the revelation of who Jesus really was. That made the difference in my life. The revelation that Jesus was God in human form who lived and died for me and me alone and every other person on this earth as well. And that made a big difference in my life. So it helped me to understand what that meant but also helped me to understand what it means to have power to actually get involved because you cannot do this alone. So one of the things we ask for when we go into a community is power. The demonstration of God's power to be spiritually alive and alert when everybody else is indifferent. To not try and flow, go with the flow because most Christians often find themselves consumed in the culture that is around them and they're blinded to it. But we are called to a kingdom culture which is often counterculture. And that's where spiritual indifference cannot, cannot live. It has to get out of there. You have to be spiritually alive to do that. And you need to continually pray for that spiritual aliveness in your life. Pray for God's will to be done, for heaven to come to earth. The Lord's Prayer is, the first part of that is you honour God and the second part is you ask for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Honour God and make sure that happens on earth. See, ask for God's will to be done here on earth. You bring heaven to earth in the way you live, in your community, in your workplace, in your relationships with others, in the sporting communities or whatever other social network that you have. I'm going to get Paul to share a little bit about a divine appointment that we had just recently. Yeah, so um, we've, we come and do a circuit often. So we go Charleville, um, Quilpie, Kanamala and and Othargaminder um, and Kanamala. And on our last trip in Kanamala, we connected with a young mum and uh, she'd just gone through a pretty horrific experience. And so it was on our, our last day there that we, we managed to go over to her house through her grandmother and just listen to her heart. And, and this woman was broken and her husband, was, uh, her partner was just broken. And um, so we had just a snippet of time there. So from that point to this visit that we've just had, we're praying all the time for this couple, God, you know, if opportunity arises, help us to connect because we know, Lord, that they are people that are desperate to hear from you. So this recent time in Kanamala, I'm praying, God, let there be an opportunity. And um, so I didn't know where she worked when I first went to town this time. And um, so I'm praying, God, let me find out the information that I need so I can connect with this lady. So I found out she worked at the council. So I walked into the council and straight away she recognised me. From a ten-minute time with them, she recognised me. And, and I said, would you like to come and have lunch? Oh, yeah, would I like to have lunch? And so that was a divine appointment. We sat there over lunch and she poured her heart out. And she, she said to me, you know, I was just content with prayer. 
up until this point, but now I'm not content with prayer. I know there's something more. That's a divine appointment. Appointments like that is what we seek with God, where spiritually God opens the door and spiritually you have opportunities. You don't bombard them. You've got to listen. You've got to be actively listening and just looking for those opportunities to speak a seed of truth into their life. So when she, she, when she talks about prayer, it's actually not prayer to God. It's prayer through new age and other things. So you don't understand what she means by that. But she's spiritually open. So all of a sudden she's now going to be on a journey where she's connecting with some other people that we're working with in uh, St George to start looking at the Bible and start studying the Bible and starting hearing from God. And so um, that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. A divine appointment. And we've been five times into Kanamala praying and this last time we've had a number of divine appointments. So God is, is ploughing the ground. You've got to do the hard work persistently and regularly of praying. You do that both together out there, in here, and all over the place. And you do it alone as well. Alright, the second thing I want to share with you that I think you can easily do is go and be available. Praying and also going and being available. So that second group had this passage of scripture, Mark 4, 10-20, which is the parable of the soul being explained. So this group over here had that, didn't they? Anyone have anything out of that that they want to share? Uh, there was a few things. It was, a, it was, a, was a parable of the Absolutely. But even, said here, even when the, the song is, um, when the seed is sown in the rocky places, the word is, is received and heard. Yep. It's good. Yep. Um, it may not be a bad Anyone else have anything from that group you want to share? Okay, so it's the parable of the seed sower. So, Jesus tells the parable of the seed sower where he, the farmer goes out and he sows seeds. So some on rocky ground, some on ground that was just, just the pathway, some on uh, where it took root but the, seed, the weeds grew up and uh, choked that, that seed out and then some fell on fertile soil that produced 100, uh, 30, 100 times its, uh, its amount. And then the disciples are going, what are you talking about, Jesus? Like, give us a break here. You are talking in riddles, mate. What are you saying? And Jesus had to explain this to the disciples. And it wasn't just the twelve, it says there was others there as well. And he explains it. And it's actually a spiritual story. It's a story about Jesus, or God, going out and spreading this word. The seed is truth, the word of God, spreading out. And he spread it generously everywhere. It goes everywhere. So the farmer, you get this picture, the farmer is spreading. He's not even looking in terms of what the soil condition is like. He's just throwing it out there everywhere. But what he's actually looking for is fertile soil. He wants to see what grows up. That's what he really is looking for. So he's looking for the fertile soil. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you don't actually understand this parable, it says if you don't understand this parable, you'll never get anything else I say. It's fundamental. It's foundational. This parable is foundational for us then, if that's the case, to understand that 
We are God's people who sow the seed of truth. The Father has sent us, like he sent Jesus, to sow the seeds of truth. What is the seeds of truth? The word of God. Now the word of God is not you going about and reading out the word of God to everybody. It's the word of God that has been implanted in your heart, you've been obedient to and you have a story to share about. You can't share about something that you've never been obedient to and you have no life experience around. Do you understand what I'm saying there? You can't go out and just share scripture with people and think people are going to respond to that unless there is something behind that that gives understanding. So when I go and talk to blokes, and I, talk, I often talk to blokes and they, they talk about things that are bloke stuff. And I look for stories where God has spoken into my life about bloke stuff. And I look to share that story with those people. That's planting the seed of truth. It's taking, been a witness. So it's been a witness of what you have seen, what you have experienced, what you have observed, and it's sharing it with someone else in a similar position or in a similar condition. So you're praying, you're listening, and you're sharing this seed of truth. Now the thing here is, you share it generously. So we go out last night to the RSL here. Because we were told that's a great gathering point. We found there was a lot of people at the RSL. So we're there and we, the first bloke we connect with, he says g'day to us. We say g'day to him. He's watching the footy. I'm going, what's the footy score? The conversation starts. We got to the point where he asked us what we did. And when I told him what he did, he's gone. And then he went back to footy. So did I plant anything there? No. Did I try to plant something? Yes. Is God happy that I tried to plant something? Yes. But maybe another day I'll get to come across that dude again. And hopefully I can share something with him. We've connected with some people in one of the shops here. And we went in there and we asked them how they were doing. They said, this is the toughest time we've ever experienced in our life. And so we let them share with us. And as they were doing that, we said, well, look, we're people of prayer. Prayer, we would like to actually pray for you guys. Is that okay? You, you, are, you open to that? And they said, yep, we are. And so we've been praying with them. Fundamentally, the, the guy was at the RSL last night and happened to recognise Paul and started talking to Paul again. The opportunity to go a little bit deeper. See, it's not in one go you do all this. It's over a period of time that this happens. So we're trying to plant seed everywhere we go. This is what you can do in your workplace. You don't, now, most people think, oh, do I have to go and find a whole heap of new friends and share the gospel with them? No, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about sharing what God has shared with you, what you've taken from his word, what you've experienced in your life, and sharing that in your workplace. Because the majority of our time is spent in our workplace. Most of you spend at least 40 hours with your workmates. That's your network. That's what the Bible calls your oikos, your relationship network. You share into that situation. You share with your customers if you have a business. You share with your family if you are husband and wife and you've got kids. You share with your mates at school. You share everywhere what God has been speaking into you about. So, I'll tell you about Brad. Brad is the big dude at the back and that's his wife pointing the finger. Now, the reason he's the big dude at the back is he's a copper. He's a copper in a place called the Gemfields, which is just west of Emerald. Now, it's the biggest lawless place of people I've ever seen in my life. There's, statistically, there's a thousand people live there, but most of those people don't want to be known statistically, so there's probably about four or five thousand people live on the gem fields. And let me tell you, it's an interesting place. So God sends a Christian copper to the gem fields, and Brad is all about 
praying and going and being available. So he drives around. We go with him. He says, don't take your car, you may not come back. Best if you come in the police car. So we go down these roads, like this way Fred Road, which is a gazetted road in the gem fields. It's a this way Fred Road. And uh, we go down past all these claims. And they're interesting. And Brad said, know him, I've arrested him, yep, done th- stuff for them, they, yep. And he just knows everybody because he's got that job. But in that job, he actually shares. He shares about his heart. He's not Bible bashing, but he's sharing. He's just sharing his life experience with people under God. So he comes across a guy who's had a bit of trouble with, who is terminally ill with cancer. And he calls in and he says to John, how are you doing, John? He says, oh, I'm not doing too well. He said, but funnily enough, I came across, I was in Melbourne on treatment. And he was in Melbourne on treatment. He came across some people who travelled from Adelaide who knew he was in hospital, who happened to be Christians, who connected with him in the gem fields a couple of years beforehand, went to Melbourne and visited him in hospital because he had no one there. And they started visiting. They were a Christian couple. That planted a seed in his life. They shared with him about their life. He then knows Brad as a Christian. He says to Brad, he says, I need to come to the church you go to. Where is it? Because he says, I'm not sure what God's doing here. And Brad says, well, you can come to my place on a Tuesday night. That's where I do church. He has a group of about 10 or 15 people that meet in his home on a Tuesday night. And so John turns up. He connects with a group of people. They start interacting into his life, just helping him, serving him, and sharing truth with him, not ashamed to share truth with him. And all of a sudden, John is on a journey. John is on a journey of discovery. And he discovers who Jesus is. Now, we don't know how long John has got left on this planet. But the one thing we do know is he's on a journey with Jesus to heaven. And that's because Brad was courageous enough to go and be available and speak, and this guy knew it. We just need to be available. We don't have to do anything fancy, just be available. Pray and be available. And the next one is all about um, John 15. Verses 5 to 8, which is the group up the back. Anything out of that that you guys got you want to share? Good stuff. Anything else? Good on you. So this is a passage where Jesus is speaking to the disciples not long before he dies actually. And he's speaking about the whole fact of um, what it means to be connected with him. And it starts off, similarly it starts off with, you know, I'm the vine, you are the branches. 
and talks about bearing much fruit. And this is about obedience because it says in there, if you obey my commands, you'll know that you're my, my disciples. And it says that in a number of different places. And what is fruit here? What is the fruit? As we said, it's not about asking whatever you want for, but it's actually getting the heartbeat of God and asking what God would want. What was God want in this? Because if what God wants, if we understand what God wants is best for us, then that's what we'll ask rather than what we think is always best. And so in this, it's about the journey of what I call being a disciple. So you begin to disciple people by engaging them in the word of God because it is the word of God that brings out the truth of God. Now there's two things that we believe very clearly. First of all, the word of God is actually the word of God. It is inspired by God and given to us for our for our purpose of living here on earth. The second thing we believe is that it is the Spirit of God that enlightens the Word of God for us to actually understand it. So I can stand here and I could preach to you for days on end about all sorts of things. And you can go away going, so what? Because it hasn't spoken to you. Because what's happened is, I've actually chewed that food of the Word and then I've spat it back out at you. Now, there can be good in that, but it's actually not the best. The best is when the Spirit reveals it to you through the Word himself. And so you do that in community because the one thing about this is in community you keep yourself mutually accountable. And as you keep yourself mutually accountable, people add in their understanding of the word which gives you the bigger understanding. Now sure, you need some guidance around that because you can go way off track. I understand that. You do need some guidance. But you trust that the Holy Spirit is doing his work in that. You trust that the Holy Spirit can speak into that. And so one of the things here is that you start to engage people in the word of God. So when you find that someone that's spiritually open, the first thing we do is, would you like to read the Bible with us? So um, Paul is going to share a story in a minute, but one of the things that happens is if people are spiritually open, they're usually open to reading the word. They'll, they'll, they'll have a read of the Bible. They may have concepts about it that may be a little bit interesting, but they'll probably want to read the Bible. And that's what we found. We, th- what, we believed for a long time that we had to go on a really long journey for get, to get people into the Scriptures. What we found is that people will be open to the Scriptures as long as you don't try and preach at them about what you think they should be doing out of those Scriptures. And this is the big difference. The Spirit of God speaks in, and as the Spirit of God speaks in, you ask them to be obedient to what God is saying to them. You ask them what to reveal. So I, I've come along, I've got you to read the Scriptures. I want you to actually engage in the Scriptures and hear from God. Because if God has spoken you through those scriptures, then you need to go from this day and forget anything I've said and go and actually act on what God has said to you through those scriptures. Because that's the most important thing. Hopefully I'm adding to that and helping you along the way. But you need to take what God is saying to you. And as people take that and are obedient to that, what happens is they start to show that they are a disciple. Because all of a sudden they've been obedient to the word of God. And the other thing we ask them to do, we actually call it a DBS, a Discovery Bible Study. And what we do is we sit there and we, we do a number of different things with people, especially people who are new. Not people, if people have been a Christian and fallen away and coming back again, we do something a little bit different. But for people who are new, we do things like what we call Creation to Christ. And we'll do a, a five-week overview of the Scriptures from Creation to Christ. We sometimes do what we call the seven stories of hope that are recorded in the Gospels, that Jesus talks about hope. Uh, the seven signs of Jesus are in John. And there's a number of different things that you can use as resources there. But what you do is you actually let them read the scriptures. You ask them, what does that say to you? What are you getting out of it? What words or phrases? Get them to speak into it. You share your story of that. 
at the end of that time, you mutually share what God has spoken to you. So it's not about that person saying something and you telling them what they should or should not think about that. It's about you getting something from God as well and saying to that person, will you keep me accountable to this act of obedience where I'll follow through on that this week? And you ask them to do the same thing. And when you come back the next week, the first question you ask each other is, how did you go at that? And if you're going, well, actually I didn't do it or I really struggled with it, how can I help you to get there? So it's not about hierarchical accountability, it's about mutual accountability. Together, you journey together through the scriptures, hearing from God and letting God lead the way. That's what a DBS does. And what happens out of that is you actually help them to actually hear from God for themselves. Because the key thing we want to do is, and what we find is that in many of these outback communities, there are a lot of people who are used to sitting in a church and listening to someone else tell them what they should or should not believe. And when that person goes, they don't know what to do. They've relied on a human being to be the voice of God to them. You cannot live your life as a Christian like that because some, at some point in your life it is going to let you down because that human being can't always be available. You have to learn to hear from God and that's the first thing we want to try and teach someone is to how to hear from God. And this is the best way we have found. Now that doesn't discount the fact that we have messages like this but it's the primary way we want to try and get people engaged in the Word is to hear from God for themselves. When they hear from God and they see that it works for themselves, guess what? They own it. They own it. It's no longer you trying to tell them to own it. They actually own it for themselves. So, Paula, do you just want to share briefly the story? So, um, for a year now, I've been journeying with a a woman in Kanamala called Joycelyn. Now, Joycelyn is a relatively new Christian. only really came to have a fuller understanding of God beginning of last year. And... As a new Christian, she was just really wanting to do something in her community. And so she started doing um, stuff with children, but that quickly fell away because there was no support. And so she was just really trying to find her place. And so after a number of visits to Kanamala, Joycelyn um, and I now disciple each other, and it is a mutual discipleship. We disciple each other every Monday night over the phone. So... The things that we do is we we look at a passage of scripture, we talk about it mutually. It's not about me knowing more than Joycelyn. This is about us going on a journey together and both of us being open to accountability, to honesty, to to trusting each other. So we look at the scripture, we we try and paraphrase it like um, what we got you to do. We try and retell it so we understand it. Then we we dig in deep and say, well, what's God saying to us about it? And then we have... And I will, I will obey this out of it. And this, this is where the rubber meets the road in our Christianity. We can read lots of things, but if we actually don't say, God, you're speaking to me in this and this is what I need now to do as a follow-up of reading that and listening to what you say, then it, it, it doesn't mean anything. So for Joycelyn, we, we then go into what is God saying and we verbalise it to each other and then our accountability comes. But then after that, there's also this other part that goes into it. Who am I going to share this story with? And where am I going to go with this? And so that happens every Monday night with Joycelyn and I. And, um, and so she is someone discipling and she's starting now to disciple others. And the, the woman I told you about before, Joycelyn is now going to start discipling that woman. Now this woman is only very new into this whole journey. So she's just going to take her on this journey of discipleship. And it's teaching people to obey what you understand as well. It's not, you're not trying to teach people something beyond yourself. 
you're on the journey together. So the key things we say about discipleship is it's got the Bible, it's got the Holy Spirit, and it's usually got food. Because that's the thing that makes it commonality about it, is that when you share food, you read the scriptures and you pray, and you listen to the Spirit, something happens in that. And that's what Jesus did all the time. That's the way Jesus did it. I want to say something to you. There are three things that we've just given you that any of you can do at any time. Because you don't need great skill to do this other than a heart for God and a desire for your community to see them know Christ. That's all you need for this to happen. Because anybody can pray, anybody can share truth that God has spoken into your life you've been obedient to, and you can take anybody through the Scriptures if you, if you trust that the Holy Spirit can speak into it and you don't have to tell everybody what they have to do. It's easy to do. All you've got to do is do it. But we believe lies. And we cannot believe that we're unworthy. We cannot believe that the harvest is not plentiful. We cannot believe that it requires someone trained to do this. Because if they're the beliefs we have, we will never move anywhere in our faith. Because what happens is when we do this, we grow in our faith. We grow in our faith. So I want to just share a couple of things at the end. I know I've gone over time, Michael, so I'm sorry about that. No, they'll talk to you later about that. But I'm going to talk now. So can we just go to the next slide? Because at the beginning of this year, for 40 days, Paul and I prayed. We're, we're actually with a bigger group. We're connected with Queensland Baptists. I'm a registered minister with Queensland Baptists. So I'm accountable to them. But I'm also accountable to a bigger group called Praxis. Praxis is an organisation that is committed to making disciples across the nation and across the world. We're actually on the leadership team of Praxis Australia. And so Praxis actually has, a, has people in, in Melbourne, Sydney, uh, Perth, and through the states, us, we've got people in uh, Spain, we've got people in the gypsy communities in Hungary, all over the place. At the beginning of the year, we decided to do a 40-day prayer and fast. So we did a 40-day prayer and fast asking God to speak into our lives about the outback. And there's a couple of things that came up. The first one is out of Haggai 2, 6-9. Um, Paul, I'd really love you for you to read that out very quickly. So, so what I'll do... <laughs> so what, or if someone else has got it up there quickly, can they read it out? Haggai 2, 6-9. But what it is, it's about God promising the remnant of Israel that's come back that he will rebuild this temple that was once in Israel that was then destroyed because of the exile. And they were destroyed because the exile had come because the Jews had been disobedient. And they'd been scattered. And then all of a sudden... King Cyrus allows the Jews to come back to Jerusalem and they start to rebuild the temple under Ezra. Okay, so verses 6 to 9 says this. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will make all nations, I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine... The gold is mine, declares the Lord of the hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Thanks, Paula. So what happened is that we really believe God gave us a promise for the outback. I think it's places like St George and other places that God has given us promise to, is that he's rebuilding a temple, his temple. It lives inside of us. It's no longer in buildings made of stone, it says in the, in the Bible. It's actually in us. The kingdom of God is in us. The temple is in us. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so God has given a promise to rebuild his presence in the outback. But this is a new, going to be a new thing because it's going to be not look the same as the old. 
because the old has been shaken up. The old has been shaken up. Now you know, if you've lived in this community long enough, you know how much it's changed because of conditions. So drought conditions, structural conditions, even many different things changing. Government decisions affect rural communities greater than people really realise other than the rural people. We see it in the north with the live export. We see what devastation a decision made at that level has caused in the north. And we see what the ramifications are when all of a sudden there is a glut of cattle on the market because of a poor decision. Those sort of things, they're changing things up. God is shaking the outback. He's literally shaking the outback. And what he's doing is he's shaking the Christians in the outback as well. And he's shaking the outback for two reasons. One is to raise up a movement of people committed to his cause. So the structures will not be the same. It'll be a movement that's adapting and growing and going. And as he does that, he will be calling people into that. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Where do you find the workers for the harvest? In the harvest. That's what he says in that passage in Matthew 9. He's prayed to the Lord of the harvest and he'll raise up workers for it. So we need to be going out. He's shaking us up. He's changing things up. He's, bu- he's building a new temple. That's in us. And it's a movement. And it's going to shake the place. And his glory is going to be seen even more than ever before. That's the promise there. His glory is going to be seen even more. And his peace is going to fill this place. And that's the thing I think the outback desperate needs is some peace in it. Some peace and assurance greater than just their circumstances. And God is promising that. But it requires people like you to get on board with them. The second thing that came up is this concept of a master chef. Now, I can't cook to save myself. I've watched, they say MasterChef, the series on TV, is an educational program. I've watched four series and I'm still flat out boiling water. So it hasn't proved itself to be an educational thing. But I want to talk about it being a MasterChef of God's truth. To be a MasterChef of God's truth, we need to taste all the flavours of the Bible. All the flavours of the Bible. There's some bitter flavours, there's some sweet flavours. There's some not-so-tasty flavours. There's some really nice flavours. We need to taste all of that so that we get an understanding of what is the food of God for the soul of the people. And as we do that, we get to understand how they work together. Now, the best way that is done is in community. Reading, meditating, discussing, practising the truth of God with each other and with the world around you. So as you start to put recipes together, I just want you to go with this concept, as you start to put recipes together of God's truth in your life, as you start to taste the bit of the sweet, the not so nice and the good, as you put that together, you start to get an understanding of God and his purpose and how you can speak into people's lives, the God story that you can share into someone else's life. You see, this is food that ultimately brings freedom. It is food food that ultimately brings freedom. It's nutritional food. And nutritional food is meant to be shared. You cannot hold it for yourself. If you hold it for yourself, it will become bitter. You must share that food out. You must share the truth of God out. You must become a master chef of God's truth. And share that out. Share what you have learnt. Share what you are discovering. Share your meal, your food with someone else. 
because it's nutritional. God says not all people want this food because sometimes they've tasted this food and it's been served up with abuse and it's been burnt. And we find that with many people. A lot of the blokes will say to me, yeah, I believe in the big fella upstairs, but I can't stand church. I go, well, I'm not here to talk about church. You tell me about what you understand about the big fella upstairs. If we start with church, we start in the wrong place. We start with the word of God and their relationship with God, good or bad, and we try and help them define the sweet flavouring of God in there. That's what we're trying to do. We become master chefs. Because there are people out there and we need to share the fresh flavouring of God's truth because it's nutritional for the souls of people. And I want to ask you, because I believe God is asking today, what are you going to do with what we've shared with you today? What has God said to you through his word? What has God said to you that's convicted your heart to say, this is the thing I need to pick up on? Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's been available. Maybe there's someone that you could actually start reading the Bible with. Whatever that is, I just want you to take that away and I want you to take this week to be obedient to that one thing and to come back and maybe share next week with this group how God worked in that time. To start to encourage one another in the idea of being bush disciples because that's what you are. You are bush disciples. Jesus loves disciples. And in that passage in John 15, it goes on to talk about no greater love has this than a man would lay down his life. And that's what I'm doing for you. I no longer call you servants, I call you brothers, friends. Jesus wants you to follow him, be obedient to him and do the things he's calling you to do in, in your everyday relationship. You don't have to manufacture this, just be available and let the Spirit of God lead. Thanks for spending the time with me. Sorry I took so long. I apologise for that. But um, thank you. And uh, I'm going to pray for you guys right now. Father, I want to say thank you for this group of people. Lord, I thank you that you have called them together. And it's not by accident you've called them together. You've called them together for a purpose. And that is to be a light and a witness to this community of St Georgian District. And I pray, Lord, that as they go out in their everyday life, you would speak into their hearts about the condition of the hearts of men and women in this town. And then you speak into them how they can share. And as they pray, they would get wisdom for that. And as they share and as they're available, you would provide divine opportunities for them, divine appointments where they can share a seed of truth into a person's life. And then, Father, they would look for the fertile soil in a person's life and start to feed that fertile soil. And out of that would come a revelation of who you are and a journey that would multiply out amongst this community. So I pray that you would bring grace and honour and mercy and that would flow through these people to the heart of the people of this community. So put that before you, Lord, on behalf of these people and say thank you for them. Bless them with every good gift that comes from heaven and may they share that with others in Jesus' name. Amen.